it's the next level. to another episode of Still Afraid of the Dark from the Next Level Podcast Network. I am Rob Martin, also from the Caffeine Crew Cast of Pods. Joining me, as always, Ben Beck. Uh, from the We Have to Go Back Lost Revisited podcast and the Spotlight, which I've... This is my first time ever plugging my other podcast, and we're into late chapters of this More one. like in the final episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it only took me about seven or eight episodes to do it. It's all right. That's fair. Yeah. Well, we actually have two other people joining us that have been here for now a third of this ride. Uh, and I was really happy that you guys wanted to come back for this because it's been a blast having you on from so far. The uh, Let's see. What what stories so far? Well, we did The Tale of Jack. We did The Tale of Jack. Together with uh, House of the Clock and Its Walls and Goosebumps. And then was Sleepy Hollow was the other one, I think. Yeah, yeah you were on correct. for Sleepy Hollow and Casper one, right? No, uh, no Casper and Ghostbusters were together. So, uh, what was, it was, it was, was, it? Le- it was Sleepy Hollow. Legend of Sleepy Hollow oh, yeah, it was and Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow across yes. the board. That's yep. right. That's right. right. I almost Times two. Forgot. Yes, yeah. It's... It, We've recorded a lot of podcasts in a really short <laughs> window of time. No lie, if the start of this morning until the end of this month, this is knocking out two of six recordings that we Ben and I have to do just for the stuff that we do together. Not including any of the other stuff that you're doing. And, and so, or the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is pretty crazy. So it's, you're a bit podcast drunk, and I understand that. Uh, so it makes sense. Well, speaking of drunk, um, <laughs> what are you saying? So I'm uh, wearing my gloves on my feet. So, well, <laughs> well, let's talk. Let's tell what the well, the, yeah, the that's chapter what I was about is. To get to. So, well, this, the, yeah. So this this chapter we're going to call the tale of stop motion. Uh, the reason being is we're going to be doing two just fantastically wonderful films. Uh, so Corpse Bride and Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, obviously, two things that Tim Burton had a heavy hand in for both of them. One directed, one produced. Uh, so we figured the best drink to make for today was a special drink I came up with called the Oogie Boogie. Um, this is a complicated one. That's uh, the best way I can put it. So basically, just to give you an idea, because the is there is a video up there so you can see how we make this, but um, the basis of the drink is pineapple juice and orange juice, and that's going to pretty much be about a 50-50 mix that's about three-fourths of your glass. Again, you're probably going to want at least a pint glass for this. And then in addition to that, it's going to be, if you're making this for yourself, one shot of absinthe, one shot of light rum, one shot of spiced rum, then a splash of blue carousel, and then a splash of contro, and then just garnish that off with a maraschino cherry. So um, again, it is essentially a rum punch, but again, with uh, that little anise kick into it. It's a it's a delicious rum punch. It is very, very different, though. Um, I, it's It reminds me of something I've had from a bar in New Orleans, and I've been trying to come up with a close representation of it, and this is pretty damn spot on. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy it, but um, yeah. Well, uh, why don't we dive into our first film? 
Yeah. So um, did we mention what the title of the chapter is? Yep. I just did that. Yes. Okay. You've the, already had too much to drink. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've had like an eighth of this rum part. You're drunk on monster ginger beer. <laughs> oh, so. yeah. There's that too. Not a sponsor. Anyway, um, what do we call the chapter? The tale of, the, the, the tale of stop motion. Of stop motion. That's what I thought. Okay. I was going to say slow motion for some reason, but it wasn't. I just love the fact that every time I, I, I'm asking a question, it's as Rob's bending down to take a drink of his punch and I keep interrupting it. Oh, well, it's fine. We, feel, we realized we have straws, so this is so much <laughs> it's, better. That's very true. Uh, but yeah, the tale of slow motion in which we're nope. going to... A tale of stop motion. What did I say? Slow, slow motion. Motion. Damn it. <laughs> Maybe I have had too much rum punch already. Thank you so much for having us here today, guys. You're, this you're is welcome. beautiful. I can't, the, I can't tale, even begin. the tale of stop motion. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, we're going to be covering two movies, that being the first, uh, the 1993 Nightmare Before Christmas, directed by Tim Burton. Nope. As- nope. What? Not directed by not Tim directed. Burton. Not directed. Produced by. Produced by. Believe who it or di- not. Who direct? Oh, yeah. Henry, Henry Selick. His, damn. His mm-hmm. tone and style and characterizations all I'm just the gonna, movie, so I'm, it's commonly misconstrued. I'm just going to stop talking. Like, right now. It's, it's just <laughs> probably for the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, we like to have fun on a podcast. It's all right. Uh, but yeah, so it's written by Tim Burton, Nightmare Before Christmas from 1993, as well as the 2005 uh, Corpse Bride, which was directed by Tim Burton Correct. Uh, and written by Tim Burton as well. Yeah. So uh, those are the two that we're going to be talking about this yeah. uh, on this episode and this why, chapter. Why don't we go back and start with Nightmare Before Christmas? Because again, we'll just look at year differences. So 1993. Um, so for a lot of us, we that definitely sets us back time-wise quite a bit. Uh, it, for me, I was 11 or 12 years old when this came out. So it's... I think it was about, f- yeah, 14, I think, yeah, when, so, it, when it came out. So this was definitely one of those things when it came out. For me personally, it was kind of like, hey, uh, this is, it looks like a kid's movie. And I was not interested at the time. But it, a couple of years later, by the time I was like 15 or 16 years old, I was obsessed with this movie. Well, it's interesting, too, because a lot of people put... It consider it a Disney movie, in which it is. But well, when it's it, Touchstone, but so. when it was first released, uh, Disney issued it under Touchstone because they were too afraid that it might be a little too much for for Disney kids, for, yeah, the, for, for the, the audience. Viewers. So Disney released it under Touchstone instead. But then once it got a following, and they found that more kids started to watch it and everything, Disney re-released it under the, under the Disney moniker. So a lot of the versions that you watch now actually have the Disney logo in the beginning of it, which it never did when it first released. Mm-hmm. Correct. So, um, so how about for the two of you? Um, like I said, as far as going back and watching Nightmare Before Christmas, where, where do, does your heart lay on this film? Is it something you still enjoy? Something you don't enjoy anymore? Yeah. What do you think of this slow motion movie? Yeah, it's an stop, excellent stop motion slow motion movie. Slow motion movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, back in 1993, when this came out, I was many months old. <laughs> I was born in 1993, um, so it wasn't until. Middle school, high school, that it kind of became really a big thing, and I was one of those emo kids, so of course, of course, anything Tim Burton, really, at that point, which is kind of like your siren song. So every time I watch it, it always gives me happy, good vibes, and I sing along with it and make my husband listen to me sing along with it. (laughs) So let's hear what he thinks about that. I always underdress. Yes, that's exactly the case. <laughs> no, I for me, I was really excited because like for, for the longest time, Christmas always had all of these movies and celebrations and, and culture and all that. And all I had before that was um, uh, The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And it's for a Halloween movie. And then The Night Before Christmas came along. And I'm like, fantastic. 
and it, it has always been a staple since since my childhood to uh, my viewing time of this year. So I have a really good question for everybody at this table because it's an important question. Do you guys view this as a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? You beat me Excellent. to that question. Oh, yeah. I would. I, I, I yes. may have been leading to yes. that that <laughs> inquiry. Um, I consider it to be because of the 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 I don't know if you would call it just just the way Christmas tends to encroach towards Halloween. This is Halloween's way of firing back. So I consider it a Halloween movie by technical terms. For the longest time, there was I always argue with friends that it was like, oh well, we should watch it sometime in November. So it's between the two holidays. <laughs> Thanksgiving. It Thanksgiving. It's a Thanksgiving movie. Come on. There's turkeys involved somewhere. Um, no, there is a tree. There is a tree there that has a turkey a tree. on it. So. A, yes, exactly true. So you could also say it's also an Easter movie. Yes, that's so. true. Because they kidnapped the, the Easter, Easter Bunny. Bunny. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it is a movie for all holidays. So. <laughs> it is. Well, do you know what's funny, too? You know, when you when you talk about whether or not it's a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie, it wasn't until I got older that I realized the actual meaning behind the title of the movie. I always called it The Nightmare Before Christmas just because that's what I always called it. But it wasn't until I started to realize that literally Halloween really is the it's with the exception of Thanksgiving, it's really is the next big Halloween the holiday before Christmas. So the nightmare before for Christmas is in essence Halloween. I never really put that together when it came to the title mm-hmm. until I got older. But that makes sense, and it's not just about you know talking about shopping, and getting presents for everyone on time for Christmas. That's a different kind of nightmare. That's another yeah, nightmare that's together. Yeah. together. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, so going into this though, uh, because there's a big factor that runs into the two movies that we're going to talk about and that's probably the music um so style aside because the style feels like it matches across the board for both of these films it, everybody here i'm sure because we've probably all seen this movie a thousand and one times what are people's favorite songs from this offhand ah go ahead are we talking from the movie, or are we talking from Nightmare Revisited, the album with all of the really Ooh, that's awesome... that's a completely different I say, story. I, I, I was <laughs> letting someone else bring that one up first. I was, was going to say probably from the movie. Okay. Because Nightmare Revisited is a whole other conversation, and I, it's been a long time since I've listened to it. Me too, and now so. since you brought it up, now I want to listen to it. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. it's a great album. It is. Uh, I guess for me, it would either be uh, Jack's Lament or Sally's Song. Mm, okay. Probably. Definitely. Damon, what is this? What is this? <laughs> I, I can't. I can't. Uh, yeah. That's we're we're across the board, too, because like if I have to go into any, it's Oogie Boogie song or oh, uh, or Kidnap the Santa Claus. Kidnap, yes, that's uh, a beautiful song. Yeah. I, I got to still say, this is Halloween, man. This, that, that this song. This is Halloween. It, yeah. it just does something for me every time I hear it. And that was such a great, strong opening that like sucked you into what they were about to present to you. But every song in that movie really feels like it's, they all have like that earworm quality where they get in your head, like it's there permanently and it just will never go away. Did Danny Elfman do all of the music or just, was it just the scores? And uh, Danny Elfman he, actually did write all of the music for this. And he, he did. did the vocals for, for Jack. Jack. Yeah. 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 And then Catherine O'Hara, of course, handling Sally's stuff because she's a phenomenal singer as well. Absolutely. So, yes. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, there, there's really a ton of talent across the board. In this film. Well, I mean, not only that, but, you know, when you look at some of the cast, too, a lot of people don't realize that, yes, Danny Elfman did the singing voice for Jack, but the actual um, script voice for Jack was Prince Humperdinck. Yeah, Chris Sarandon. Chris Sarandon. From from Princess Bride. Yeah, I always say, actually, uh, from the the vampire from Fright Night. That's that, too, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God, that is right. Everybody always forgets the the original Fright Fright Night. The first Fright Night. The first Fright Night. In in the remake, he is a passenger in the car. That's true, because he's the only one in all three movies. He gets in the car accident. Yeah, exactly. He gets in the car accident with with everybody and is horribly killed. So, (laughs) Um, still, very underrated, great movie, though. 
It really is. So, I mean, you look at some of the other vocal casting that's in there too. I mean, you have, uh, you know, William Hickey, Paul Rubens, uh, Greg Proops is even a voice uh, of one of the characters in the movie. Oh as my well. god, I forgot Greg Proops. Yeah, who does Greg Proops play again? I forget. Was he the mayor? I know no. no. he wasn't the mayor. I think he does a couple random voices. I think it's a couple side ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think he really does anything. Yeah, he's the Harlequin demon, the devil, and the sax player. Oh, okay, yeah, um, that's true. That's right. Bone that's Daddy, right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but I mean, William Hickey, uh, it, for some reason earlier on in my life, I had always had the impression that the evil scientist was Vincent Price. But he did it, a great it, job. But it's it's but it's William Hickey yeah. who I you is like the the grandfather from uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yes. And then, yep. I mean, he's such another great character actor. I I mean, I it would have been amazing though if, if they had Vincent Price in this. Would have been. <sighs> well, they were supposed to. They were supposed to. Yeah. yeah. He was supposed to be Santa Claus. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. They like even got him to record a little bit, but his health was failing so bad it was unusable. Yeah. Yeah. It was a shame, yeah. Like I said, it would would have been amazing. Vincent Price is Santa Claus, man. I, I that have was, words. <laughs> <laughs> that that in itself would be a, that is a nightmare before Christmas. That is right? oh my, I hmm. that yeah, that would have been fantastic. Um, well, I guess another big question for you guys too is watching it now. Is there anything that you take away from it now versus when you watch it from when you were younger that feels dramatically different, or something that you latched onto more now versus in the past? I think it's important to note in, in rewatching it because I just rewatched it recently and I still had an absolute blast rewatching this movie. It still holds up to me. Uh, the older you get, the more you realize the messages that are actually in the movie, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to Jack coming to realizations about who he's supposed to be uh, as opposed to who he wants to be. And the same thing with Sally. Sally's the same way. She's struggling to find uh, a, a, um, not really a life for herself, but maybe a characterization well, for it's herself. A like she doesn't. A purpose. She doesn't that's have the word a purpose. I was looking for. Uh, yeah. Sark. She's just a creation. She, she's created to serve. Yeah. Versus being her own thing, and that's the whole thing for her is breaking breaking those chains and being able to be a be, actually be a person, especially in their universe in their world. So yeah. For me, it was it was acknowledging uh, creative burnout, where like when Jack in this whole situation, he's been doing this for years, and everyone loves him for it. But it's also like this is this is all I have, this is all I've ever known, and he feels detached from it because it's become so repetitive to him. And the through the journey of the movie and experiencing other opportunities, he realizes he really is the Pumpkin King. It's not just a job; it's who he is as a person, as a soul. And it's it's that's what I connected with as an adult versus a child, and yeah. it was a, a strong change for me. It was very beautiful. Yeah. I guess for me, the lesson is no matter how much you love something or love someone, you can't own it. It doesn't mm-hmm. become yours, especially yeah. if it is somebody else's. You can't just take it and make it be yours, um, which is apropos. But it's not something I ever gathered as a kid. I was just like, cool, the skeleton guy's over there doing stuff. <laughs> like it wasn't. Oh my God, severed head for, for Christmas. That's what I wanted last year. <laughs> oh, I got socks instead. No. Jeez. It's Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I got to say, like, I think everybody's answers are kind of like exactly spot on. But like Damon to kind of match like what you were saying. That's actually always been like my biggest takeaway now as an adult is regardless of how much you love something, you can easily burn out on your enjoyment of something to the point where it becomes old hat very quickly. And sometimes you and I it, are kind of sort of going through that right now. Right. Yeah. Like Ben with, and I are going through podcast, that with, with, another with, with DC because like we've been following it for years and doing a show for over four years now or coming up on uh, the end of four years. Yeah. Um, and 
for us, that was we couldn't enjoy it anymore. It felt like it was a job. And, is, and then we're excited to no longer talk about it weekly <laughs> purely because we're looking forward to becoming fans again, not critics. Yeah. And I think that's really hard because, like, when you watch something, it's like having to separate yourself from something that you care about and love um, and have to view it in a completely different persona really can damage something. And that's exactly kind of what it feels like here. It's like it, it's Jax is kind of like, well, I'm, if I don't do it, I'm letting people down. Uh, I have to do this because that's what my lot is in life. And it's it's kind of like being disappointed in the job that you have. And I think everybody has has that, even if it's something that you're you're working, doing something you love. Um, it's really, really easy to get tired of it and kind of take it for granted a little bit too. Realizing that, oh, you could try to go over here and take the same things you did and just infest something else with like your your love for it. And but it's never going to be exactly the same thing. Like it's, it's exactly what you said, Liz. Is is trying to own something that you don't own. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really kind of perfect for it, and kind of blends everything really nicely together. Yeah. So. I mean, and a couple other things too. To, that's I guess really important to mention about the movie too. Uh, I mean, there's the big obvious fact that this the movie itself was nominated for an Academy Award, uh, best visual effects, and I think it was the first animated film to ever get that nomination. So, I mean, when you think of a, a stop motion film actually getting that too and the work, I mean, it was, the entire movie was shot on an SLR camera. Correct. You know, a Canon SLR camera. Right. I mean, and you look at it and like, there's some beautiful stuff. You can just go on YouTube about the making of this film yeah. and watch how they did some of their sets, them carving the trees, all these little pieces and that painstakingly stop motion work that like is an art that's really just disappeared um, because all of that can be done via CG now and right. kind of mirror that look closely. Not it's not never gonna have the exact same feel and that tactileness to the it. The texture's just not there visually. Yeah. Right. But I mean like you none of us have seen anything like that for a long time prior to this film. I mean the last time we really saw a really active usage of it was done very minimally. Like you saw it in things like, you know, um Jurassic Park, they used it in a couple small sequences because that's the way that they were going with Jurassic Park originally. Like if there's a beautiful documentary about the making of that film hmm. and before they looked and said, well, I think we can do this with CG. There's all of these test shots of them actually working with the Raptors as stop motion um, shot by shot by shot and oh. actually doing all of this work. And they're like, this looks gorgeous. And it was Phil Tippett and the folks at ILM said, well, we've been messing around and we want to show you X. And 1993 is when that film came out, too. So this is was a hard delineation of when things dramatically changed. Of This was kind of like, it felt like this beautiful last breath of practical effects for a good window of time. And then you see the birth of a new era all in the same year. It's a nightmare kind of saying, this is what the beautiful art is. And then somebody saying, well, this is also another form of what this art can be. So, and then it wasn't until I think probably maybe the last five to 10 years that you saw this hard swing back to practical effects again. But it was, I think this was that last beautiful moment that we saw something really just true uh, for almost a decade. There's an episode of Gravity Falls in which they actually have claymation um, monsters they fight. And there's a line that's brought up there by an animator who's one of the characters in the episode saying the difference between claymation and CGI is there's there's a lack of life. And there's you're you really don't there there's that spark and that, that difference there of the practical effects, exactly like you talked, Rob, and it makes a world of difference. Mm-hmm. And so it it affects how how the the movie plays out and episode plays out, because it I think the practical effects bring more to the table. So it's, it's beautiful to see, and it was great to watch it again, to see that again. I think some of the last instances I remember of anything stop motion is there's one or two episodes. There's at least one. I think it's only one, but there's one episode of the TV show Community. 
that is done completely in stop motion, which oh, is yeah. Abed's R- Christmas. That's yeah. right, it yeah. is. Yeah, it's been a long time since. And it's. I would love to see something like this come back again because it'll be interesting when we talk about Corpse Bride because, like, we're talking a decade removed. We're talking twelve years later. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's very different when you go back and look at Corpse Bride now versus I think going back and looking at Nightmare. But I mean, we'll get to that in a few minutes. But um, so, last big takeaways, I think, for for this film, or unless there's any, some well, the, the big, only one big things that we want. The only other about. thing I want to mention about the movie that I didn't know until looking into it further is this was a eight to ten year process. Yeah, it was. It was a long, long, and it was actually life. it was it originated as a poem written by Tim Burton, which I would love to find and read. Um, he wrote back in 1982, and he had been trying for a while to make it into either a short film or a 30 minute television series um, or a television special. And then it just never happened. And it wasn't until he made a deal with Disney in 1990. And then in 91, they started um, production of the nightmare before Christmas. Well, it, so it took eight to nine years before the movie even got started. Well, it's interesting because it kind of ties together a little bit. Like if you go back to like um, Burton's early work though, too, it was like his Frankenweenie was his like big student film. Frankenweenie, and that yes. eventually became a, you know, a full um, animated film. And it was also, there was also a live action film of it. And like, it was kind of, you saw those, those seeds that he planted much younger play out over a, the course of like the last 20 years of his, of his work. Well, I mean, we talked a little bit about Vincent Price and potentially being uh, Santa Claus, but there was actually, I think back in 1982, there was a short film called Vincent. Yes. That was, that was Tim Burton. And it was only like five or six minutes long. Right. But it was that narrated was, by Vincent, Vincent Price. Price. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, which is a wonderful, uh, wonderful short. Though, it's too. been a long time since I've seen that. Yeah, if you've never, if people have never seen it, I highly recommend go on YouTube and look up uh, the short called Vincent. It's hmm. wonderful, and it's this little kid that's obsessed with Vincent Price, and this all he wants to do when he grows up is to be Vincent Price. And who wouldn't? And it's and it's just it, it's this adorable. <laughs> adorable short but it's done the exact same way it looks great we could oh. do an entire podcast just on vincent price because uh, we probably should he was day. such <laughs> a <laughs> he was a renaissance man that people just have no idea the other stuff that he was into from cooking to volume com- yes. comedy and everything like, oh my he was god just, absolutely we could do a whole pod episode with uh, maybe price. that's that's halloween on caffeine crew next year is a vincent maybe. price one yeah oh, oh, why not there you go um so actually you know what um there's Edward a couple other hands yeah there's a couple other next things. season I, I know a lot of people really really like you said you know are infatuated this film is anybody here disappointed that we never got a sequel to watch what would happen if they ever went through any of those other doors i'm actually not i i, I like it as a standalone movie i, I would have enjoyed the adventures of, of jack skellington and or however it would have played out but i'm also very good i'm with i'm with ben and i'm very good with it just being a, a yeah. one and done mm-hmm. sort of situation i feel the same i mean i have the natural curiosity of wanting to open the turkey door or the, the, <laughs> the shamrock door. door or any of the doors. Jack's lament dot 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 again. <laughs> so, you know, it's this time yeah. with turkey. <laughs> Why the turkeys? It just makes you wonder what weird Halloween contraption he uses as stuffing. And I kind of don't want to know at the same time. So <laughs> the nightmare after Easter. <laughs> 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 Too much chocolate <laughs> for Thanksgiving, though. I mean, their their Black Friday is going to be something special. Oh, that's man, for sure. I can't. I mean, the, you know, some of my favorite moments of the movie are just the little things, like you know, when the mayor comes out and says, "There's only 365 days till next Halloween." 364. Like it's just the panic he has in his All eyes, the, even the, though he's oh Yeah. Well, um, you know, it's interesting though because, like, this there it has been revisited in a couple small ways. Um, Kingdom Hearts, uh, especially mm-hmm. Kingdom Hearts one and two, we do go to Halloween Town and then in the sequel we go to Christmas Town. So we actually get to see more of Christmas Town. Oh, lovely. But they actually 
talk to Burton and such to be like, is this what your Christmas town would would continue to look like? But they did a lot of that. But in addition to that, though, um, Disneyland, not Disney World, uh, Disneyland only does this. And I'm really, I wish World would change some of the rulings on it. But they take the Haunted Mansion every Halloween year and they retheme it as A Nightmare Before Christmas Ride. Oh. And they only do it for one month out of, or one or two months out of every year. And so hmm. it's fully rethemed uh, down to everything. If you go online, you can actually watch um, ride throughs of actually seeing everything that they do to completely change it and retheme it into this beautiful, wonderful Nightmare Before Christmas thing. And the reason that they don't do that um, at Disney World is they view Disney World as a big destination vacation. Right. Where they said people come from all over the world to go here because it's much larger. It's more larger than life than Disneyland is, which is a much smaller park. And they said for them to retheme something that a lot of people maybe want to experience the original and not having the ability to do that during a start, certain window of time they thought was uh, detracted from the Haunted Mansion attraction. Yeah. The, yeah I and I do that. get that, but I think yeah. it, it's it's a shame. Like, if you want to experience it, if you're on the East Coast, you have to travel all the way across the country. And it's an eight-hour flight to do it just for a five-minute experience. Um, but it's, it's you know, I think it's really cool that they still have those Imagineers that still love that stuff so much and want to really pay homage to a character that a lot of people really grew to love. And Ben, you mentioned it really, it was a Disney property that wasn't ever really treated like a Disney property until like the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, when it kind of taken away from that touchstone angle, like the same way that Roger Rabbit was. Right. Roger Rabbit was the same thing as they thought it was was because it was so adult that they kept it in that touchstone corner of the universe versus being willing to keep it under the normal Disney banner. And then I'm like, doesn't anybody remember the Black Cauldron? I do. I love that movie. Black I was going to bring that up as like the suggestion for yeah. this. <laughs> well, like one. I said, we're already working on next year, so uh, we already got our plans out, and we could probably we'll, we'll make a mention of it in our final. Episode well, I, I already I already mentioned Edward Scissorhands, which That's, I, oh we, that, that was one of the other ones I was I was scrambling in my brain to try to remember. I was so. thinking that was another one to pair up with Beetlejuice. Oh, that was the one yep. I wanted to pair. Beetlejuice we were going to pair with Beetlejuice year. next season. So yeah. That will definitely happen, and I'm going to yeah. write that down. Two so more Tim Burton movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, all I know is at the end of this podcast on my, on, in my, next time I'm in my car traveling, I will be listening to, uh, this is Halloween by Marilyn Manson and kidnap the Santa Claus by corn. <laughs> right. It's like so good. That album, if you have not listened to it, Nightmare Revisited is, oh, it's amazing. There've been a ton of movies that have re-released albums done by other artists. Greatest Showman did it. Um, Honestly, I don't think any of them have ever been as good as Nightmare Revisited. Primus uh, did a cover of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory yeah. as a whole album, which yeah. was bizarre. As a whole album? A whole album. It is It is Willy Wonka. The, the entire soundtrack is redone by Primus. Interesting. It is as insane as you think it is. I'm going to have to check that one out. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, actually, I will recommend, too, if you really thoroughly love the music to this, um, seriously, just go online. Uh, there is uh, – just go on YouTube – Search covers for any Nightmare Before Christmas. Jonathan Young does some amazing stuff. So does uh, quite a few other big YouTube celebrities and stars. Uh, you know, I think it's um, it's uh, is it Voice Play was the other one. I think was, so. Yeah, that does the great um, one that I pass around to a lot of friends. That they do an acapella, uh, amazing piece. That's for uh, the Haunted Mansion, but they also do a great This is Halloween as well. Oh, that's they, stunning. That'd be amazing. Uh, and it's really, really stunning. Um, but yeah, I, I thoroughly love, especially this time of the year, and I, especially during this podcast, I've I've been just finding wonderful renditions. And I sent you guys a couple yeah. that I, of, of weird things that I found. I'm like, you guys should check these out. Just help get you guys in the mood for this episode. 
and I've sent you quite a few too. Oh then, yeah. So, um, and I my playlist for my Spotify is slowly getting more and more just like <laughs> being taken over by Halloween. But it's been super super fun. So I want to close on this before we give our ranking, um, because this movie has got so many wonderful background characters that don't get a lot of play. Maybe you're in a scene or two. Does anybody here have a favorite that they wish they would have gotten a little bit more of or were curious about? I really like the vampires. One of my favorite lines from the entire mo- movie is when they're trying to find Jack at the beginning part. Like, where's he gone? And like, they search everywhere and like, they're, they're resting against the mayor's cart. And, and one of the vampires goes, this morning. And just, <laughs> just this brief little, like, like Ben said, like these little nuances and touches. And yeah, it, it's a toss up between them and, and the werewolf. <laughs> yeah. Liz? Well, I want to know more about Lock, Shock, and Barrel. Damn you! Ha ha! <laughs> that was mine too. I knew that was going to be a, like a, like a like a hard one for someone's like, okay, I'm just gonna I'll go over here a little bit so I can share. It's it's all good. I, They're just the only like human children, human esque children in this monster land, and I want to know how they got there and why they're there and why they're with the outcast. Like, yeah. tell me more about this. I, why, why did why were they ostracized from most of the town? Right, like why yeah. does everybody hate They're them? They're just the vandals. They yeah. kind of come off like Max from Where of the Monsters Gone. Is it? Is that the children's book? I can't remember what it is. Where the wild things are. Where the wild, where the wild things, things are. are. Thank you. They remind me very much of, of Max they, from that. They kind of do have that feeling. Yeah, yeah. I I want to see a story with Lock, Shock, and Barrel told very similar to the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern kind of format (laughs) or similar to like Lion King one and a half the way it was told it's the story of Lion King but told by Timon and Pumbaa Um, same thing with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Hamlet told by Rosencrantz and Guildenstern I thought you know if they ever did a serialization of the series they did episodic and they went to the other lands those three characters and maybe Oogie could have been a great baseline for like tying to the show but didn't have to bring Jack into it all the time. Well because we do know the three of those characters do go to Easter Easter. They do. Oh my god that would have been a great side side story. That would have been a great side story episodic arc. They could have said you know what trying to understand and figure out who Santa Claus is and they're like and it's just them arguing for 30 minutes it's like is it this person? Let's just grab the rabbit. (laughs) Very similar to like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead was the movie they made off of Hamlet. You can do Lock, Shock and Barrel are dead because they are yeah, like they live in nightmare in nightmare town. Yeah. So I mean, Halloween town. Halloween town. Yes. Halloween town. I'm drunk. <sighs> yeah, I know. You're <laughs> I'm, I'm really not. I'm really not. But um, for me, actually, it's a character that never has a line and is only appears in two scenes in the entire film. And I've always been like, I want to know more. I want to know more. So during the song Sandy Claus, when Jack is in the town hall and is actually explaining everything to everyone, there is a Grim Reaper. In Halloween Town, that right. is standing in the back row and doesn't say anything, but like has this beautiful design, like really gorgeous design. But it's like a traditional, like long black cloak, scythe, and everything like that. But like you can see its body language occasionally, where it's like bending up as like the lights pick up, and he's like, "Ooh, I'm excited about this." And I'm like, "I want to know more about death." In I never world, picked up uh, on in that. A world of death. That, that is a detail that Rob would, would zero in on and pick up. And it's and, no lie. Yeah. Like when that song starts, if you look on the right side of the screen. The back row. He's standing up behind the pews in the town hall. I, I'm going to. I'm going it's to rewatch the entire detail. movie purely just for that scene. Yeah, go for it. Well, it no, I mean I've a... seen that. Like when he, like they're they're filing into the town hall. You do like see him from behind. Yeah, yeah. The side over him. Yeah, like he's going to sit down. It's a, so. it's a Ravenclaw Easter egg that is yeah. deeply yeah. embedded in the movie. <laughs> so the last little tiny piece I'm going to bring up too is I got always have special memories of this film though too because I did see it when they re-released it uh, with my wife. It was one of our earlier dates. Uh, when they re-released Aww. it as a 3D film. So, oh, that's right. I forgot that. So it was, it was, it's got a near and dear place, place in my heart. And actually in my house, I've got a gorgeous snow globe of uh, nightmare that 
my sister got for me and a couple other little gorgeous trinkets from, from that over the years. But Well, I think it's even been released in 4D a couple times as well. Uh, which I would be interested to I, see. I, I would love to, how they but, did it. Yeah. Well, why don't we close this discussion out with our ranking of this film? Obviously, for those of you that are tuning in for the very first time, our ranking is very simple. It's either a trick or it's a treat. Essentially, our thumbs up and thumbs down. And we will start with Liz. Oh, it's absolutely a treat. This yeah. Is one of my favorite films of all time. So fantastic. Definitely a, a treat. It's a childhood staple, a young adulthood staple, however you want to call it. It is It is definitely like one of the movies I watch concurrently every year and enjoy it every time. Ben? Treat. I mean, again, it's one of those movies. I just watched it recently. I, it's one of those movies I've seen so many times. I didn't have to watch it in order to discuss it for this podcast, but I still rewatched it anyway. I actually didn't rewatch it, but I, I will probably do so very soon. But I know this movie inside and yeah. out, line by line. Same. I can sing every song from start to finish. Um, but it's... It's definitely a treat. It is such a special movie, and I think nothing's ever going to quite top it. I think for not, really. it, not only just a musical, but something that's purely just showing a love of both Halloween and Christmas. I, I think it does it kind of perfect across the board. As we talk about what type of film is it, and the answer is indeed yes. <laughs> so, and real quick too, before we move on to Corpse Bride, there actually was a theater, the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood, California. Um, has been showing the film 40 screenings annually every October That's since cool. 2010. That's awesome. And so they still do it. Well, why don't we fast forward time up to 2005, 12 years later for The Corpse Bride. Ben, why don't you take us into that? Uh, again, it's another Tim Burton movie, uh, this time with Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter doing uh, the primary voice acting of the film. 2005, uh, Corpse Bride. Uh, I wanted to find a clever way to say this is yet another uh, Johnny Depp and Bonham Carter collab because this is they've one of the done first so ones many. Them, it is actually. Yeah. But they've done so many together. Yeah. This was this almost was to the point of annoyance. Maybe the, the maiden voyage of that of that uh, cinematic relationship. Well, perhaps. because I think at the time, Burton and Carter, I think, were, still, were married. They at were. Point. Yeah. yeah. They yes, were married. At they the were time. definitely yeah. married. Yeah. Yeah. There was. This is family friendly podcast, so we're not going to get into it. But <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we've talked about that. We briefly touched on it. Just I think like, it was yeah. Sleepy Hollow. We talked Sleepy about Hollow. it yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, okay, so where to start with this? Let's actually, you know what? Let's get initial thoughts out of the way first, and then we can get into some more in depth conversation. So, Liz, how about uh, Corpse Bride for you? How does this one fall? So this is, I guess, another one of those like important to me in high school type things but it often is a little grayed out and washed out by all of the other more colorful tim burton type films that i can think of so i don't immediately reach for it or think about it that often it's just not like no i get it i, 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 think, I think we're gonna get into that a little bit more damon how about you it was um for me, I always I always enjoy it. It reminds me of a, one of my favorite novels, which I'll get into later in the podcast. Um, and I enjoyed to touch base on what a little bit what Liz said. The I do enjoy the fact that the land of the dead is where all the color is at in the movie. Yeah, and um, it is always it's always been enjoyable to me because it has because of the folktale nature of the movie and the entire approach. And I enjoyed how Victoria and Victor just kind of get by coincidence get kind of thrown together and how how beautiful their interaction is so mm -hmm. ben. uh it's one of those movies um i talked to you a little bit about this before we started recording it's it's a movie i know i've seen a couple times but it's been so long since i've seen the movie 
that I honestly didn't remember a thing about it when I was rewatching it. And I don't know if that speaks well for the movie. I mean, there's been movies, it's been over a decade since I've seen them that I still remember fondly. But this is one of those ones that in watching it, like I said, I didn't remember. The only thing I remembered about it was that it's a character that marries a corpse. I didn't remember any of the characters' names. I didn't remember anything else about it. So that was something to kind of take away from rewatching it. But it's not to say I didn't enjoy it. I just it, I feel kind of similar to the way you do is it kind of gets washed out a little bit by other movies. I think for me, what's really interesting is you're talking about 12 years later. And at this point in time, Nightmare Before Christmas is beca- starting to become a cult, cult classic, like about a decade after. Yeah. Um, in a very big, bad way, like you, especially it, we're talking about a time where like malls were still at a really high peak. Uh, Hot Topic and stuff like that was was. Probably also one of the other things as at a peak. I mean, it still has a really important place, I think, for a lot of teenage and like, you know, alternative folks out there because there's not a lot of places to get a lot of that kind of stuff. But that was when I started recognizing and seeing a lot more of like Nightmare Before Christmas memorabilia and stuff like that was coming out in full force. Um, you were able to latch onto this. And this felt like a kind of a cash grab, in my opinion. Like, it has the look. It's trying to, but it was trying to recapture a magic that I don't think it ever really earned. Like, I think it has a really great story that's poorly executed. And I think that's ultimately what happened with Corpse Bride. I, I, I do think there's a really great set of bones, no pun intended, to <laughs> this film. Um, Because I, I think the story itself and the score itself is great. It's wonderful. But how they get from point A to point B to point C never felt like it worked. Right. And one of the places I'm going to transition into that is, unfortunately, the music. Mm-hmm. There's some great ideas. And I sent you guys, and when I mentioned earlier that I sent um, everybody here, and I, Ben, I can't remember, I think I sent it to you as well, too, but I sent Damon and Liz copies of, I found a great cover of Corpse Bride, the actual song, The Skeleton Sings, that kind of gives us the backstory. Um, and... That version has got so much style and pizzazz. And when you go to the movie, it's like, this just feels empty and hollow. And it feels like there should be something here, but there's, it's just off the mark a hair. And it's just the smallest amount. And it, it drives me nuts that it's, it's right there, but it felt like they just, they rushed something a little bit more. That love was missing. With yeah. Remains of the Night, they were trying to find someone. Oh, rema- to- oh uh, Remains of the Day. Remains of the Day. Thank okay. you, sir. Um, when they were trying to get it together and they couldn't find anyone to do it just right, um, Tim Burton reached out to Danny Elfman to sing the music, and he just like vocally fried him whenever just to do that character voice for the for the um, the vocals of the song. And I kind of I feel like it was there there I had to agree with you. There's some sort of element missing. I don't know if there was a production error or there was a change in like I think they had like a like it just didn't conceptually age well. And with all the amalgamation conceptually speaking of the movie, it it did get kind of washed out in that process. So I feel compelled to tell you that that character's name is Bone Jangles, mm-hmm. which is probably one of the best names that I've is very ever true. heard. That is very true. Yeah. Uh, and again, and it, it, it feels it, it has Danny Elfman all over it, though. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the other issues when it comes to the movie and it's maybe not resonating as as big as Nightmare Before Christmas is when Nightmare Before Christmas came out, we were in like a big tim burton kind of resurgence a little bit we were kind of we, we were still in his renaissance we had Wee's big adventure we had batman returns beetlejuice were all movies that had just come out before that and then we got nightmare before christmas which was a little bit of a departure from what well, he had post done post 1999 like he starts going on this weird downswing uh post big, big fish um well big big fish and sleepy hollow i think were his last pieces that i think that were truly like felt 
Burton. Like, yeah. All right. over the place. Be- because other than that, we had Mars Attacks. We had Ed Wood. You know, so I and, think by the time... Edward was great, too, but we're still yeah. talking, like, late 90s, early, early 2000s. But, but like, once we hit here... We also, we were also right off the tail end of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, too. Yeah. Um, which oh, might not no. have been... I mean... And then it's Alice in Wonderland, and all these other things were like, what's happening? I wonder... Well, Alice in Wonderland wasn't for, like, five years later. Well, I know, yeah, I know. But still... Uh, I mean, Sweeney Todd was, like, that kind of, like, there he is. He's still there. He's yeah. still alive. Tim yeah. Burton's back. There he is. And then, like, his next film, you're like, oh, no, 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 never mind. <laughs> I guess dark, he had a lucid and dream and started directing the film. Yeah. Oh, like, Dark Shadows. Oh, yeah. my. Um, hmm. <laughs> uh, I wonder if Corpse Story was something that was conceptually kicked around and in process, maybe even when Night Before Christmas was like it was was big it's, and it got shelved, and then they tried to pull it back again to try to rekindle some like in a kind of a crash grab situation, and it just didn't age well in sitting on the shelf. Yeah, because that's what it kind of felt like. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I think I can remember really clearly when like that first trailer came out for this film, and I'm like, oh my god, yes, I am so excited. But like, I remember sitting in a theater, I'm like. None of the music stuck with you. None of you, none of those pieces. There were s- slices of it that did like really wonderfully. Like, um, you know, oh my god, uh, what's the actual corpse bride's name? Her character, Emily. Emily. Uh, Emily's song that she has is really great, but then it's intercut with the spider and the worm that ruin the cadence of everything that she's singing. Right. Like they they remove the emotion of it. Like you're like, oh, I feel for her. I feel for her. Jarring, uh, jarring vocals right, to right. rip you out of that, and then okay, now we're back in it, back in it. But okay, we're gonna pull you. Out. I was like, stop, just do one thing. Strong characterized side characters, completely cutting into the the female leads, like soliloquy more or less, and right. just, just completely blowing it. They're, 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 they feel in that film, they feel like they're very afraid to let any of the characters be by themselves. That's a good and point. stand by themselves. Like they, like you look at like Nightmare, like Jack and Sally, and all these the, the important characters all have moments of reflection none of these characters ever do they always have people telling them and reassuring them and that's it there's never a moment where they really get to just be and that's what's interesting about it like you we can say okay what the message of like nightmare before christmas is and then the versus the nightmare uh, or the the message of corpse bride um, and i think that's a good question for you guys what do you think is the takeaway for corpse bride as a message I don't really know if there is one, to be honest with you. I mean, again, I rewatched it right right before we started this recording, the day before, and I, I there's nothing I really I take away from it. Um, I mean, even even in the case of the end of the movie where we find out that the villain is the one that actually murdered the corpse bride and left right. her for dead, I was like, well, you, f- I feel like you just kind of threw that in there for the sake of being in there. I mean, well, it's- I mean, it's there in the beginning. I mean. It's it's there in the song. It's Bone Jangle's song. You you see yeah, his silhouette. Yeah, it's his silhouette. Yeah, yeah that's true. It's exactly his silhouette, and everybody has got a very distinct look and design um, in that film. Yeah, so. I think one of the reasons that Alice lost punch that just dawned on me is they were literally doing Alice in Wonderland while they were doing Corpse Bride at the same time. Johnny Depp would go off and do one piece, and then during the day. And then, oh, I'm sorry, Al, um, it was not, it was uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Charlie in mm. the Chocolate Factory. Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, yes. yes. Anyway, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Don't confuse the two. Yeah. Mr. Magnuson. One's no. much better than the yes, other one. How dare you, sir? <laughs> we don't acknowledge the other. Um, but no, they, he was literally being Willy Wonka in the morning, and then it was, was Victor at night. And so they were, I think they were literally doing both ends, and it did not get the treatment or interest that it really should Probably have. not, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't even think it's so in, I mean, again, this is purely... You know where my my thoughts is. I don't think there's any problems with the way that the characters are portrayed. I think it's the problem is the the music and the script and the way that they were written. 
Um, because I think everybody gives a it gives the performance that they should have given. But I unfortunately think it was what they were handed was not maybe the strongest. I mean, I remember really enjoying it when I first saw it. But this was one of those films I was surprised did not hold up as well as I remembered it. Conceptually gets watered down in the process, yeah. unfortunately. So, well, Liz, like you, you mentioned, you you enjoy this a lot more when you were younger. Do you feel that this it, it's, did did it lose something to you? Or oh, absolutely. It's kind of like everything is misery, and then you die, and then it's slightly less misery, and that's just kind of yeah. It's like depression, the movie, and I'm not really interested. <laughs> depression, the movie. <laughs> I have I have an explanation for this because it's actually in the bones itself. Um, the this was originally this was discovered. There is a um, I did some research on the movie because I was kind of wondering the same thing, and it's a Jew, it's a Jewish Russian folktale. This is based on actually possibly two of them, and that the 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 concept is a man is wandering in the woods while out with friends and drinking and trying to work on his wedding vows. puts his uh, the wedding ring on a finger on, on what he thinks is just a branch. Turns out to be the skeletal hand of a, of a dead bride. She comes out of the ground and she goes, "Ha, we are married." And like the 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 opus of the the, the folktale is that he goes and runs to the rabbi and goes, Rabbi, I'm married a dead woman. What am I going to tell my my fiance? And the the end of the folktale is basically that he the rabbi says this cannot be legit because you're dead. It's one of the parts in the movie when um, yeah. the skeleton comes to him, the, the skeletal sage, which is. Which uh. Elder Goodnick, which is Elder Michael Goodnick. Gow, who was everybody remembers very fondly in the Tim Burton films Alfred. as Alfred yes. from Batman and Batman. Oh, well, Batman through the end of that Batman series, which that ended with Joel Schumacher with yeah. Batman and Robin. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's, it's it's that's where that line comes from because they're basically and that was beautiful by the way. Um, that line comes from in when they come to Emily and say, "Listen, there's a problem here. You can't marry him. He's still alive," and that's where that comes from because in in the in the in the folk tale. She falls apart in shame into a pile of bones because they they can't be married, right? And that's I think that's the downside of using something. It was it's also it was a Jewish fairy tale that came from Russia, so the bleakness never quite washed out of the the conceptual piece. That's yeah. why it's kind of like depression in the movie. And so, please continue, sir. Oh no, 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 absolutely. I, I actually have a good question for you guys because you guys. Both hit on something that was interesting that, like, you know, the normal world is very drab and the world of the dead is very colorful and bright and vibrant. Is it just me or every movie that attempts to do the underworld fails miserably? Like, they always make it, they're like, hey, look, it's bright and colorful, but they never do anything with it. I I can tell you one movie that I think actually hits the nail on the head, and that's Coco from Pixar. Right. (sighs) Because that is a very bright and colorful world. The other, the other compliment to that would be The Book of Life, which is very much like Coco. Yeah, I, I, I've watched both of them, but I always feel like they're on the precipice of doing something great and memorable forever, but they always just miss the mark on the way that they perceive all that stuff. Like, they see play that. it too much for laughs and less about reflection. Like, Coco does a really good job, I think, about getting some of the ideas about being forgotten. Right. Yeah. Uh, Post death, and I think that was really beautifully a beautiful message. But it feels like no one's ever been able to capture this idea, like because they all try to do the same thing. It's always this bright, colorful, perfect world, but not. But they all go to that same version of it, and it's it's lacking. Um, it's lacking a lot more heart, I think, and I think that's what it is. Like they tell you, they tell you why that you should care versus showing you why you should care, well, and I think that's what it is. There is a brief. A mentality concept that gets put down on a perspective level in the movie that it just gets glazed over and I think they were trying to reach for it but the, the 
the effort was lost in the subtlety, which is the weakness of the movie, because the movie's too subtle for its own good, in my opinion. The the concept is the the dead basically go, why are you so worried about the living? You spend so much short time of your actual life living when the dead is for eternity. And so I think that's what they were kind of going with with the movie, but it didn't sell well. Yeah. Because in, in the changeover, because they didn't present that well, that side good and well enough. And so it, it, it fell down. And I enjoyed the, the, the nod of, well, you should be with someone you want to be with forever, which is including into death itself. Mm. And that's, I think, was the takeaway, was supposed to be the takeaway of the movie. And it just didn't. Yeah. Got lost in the mail. Yeah. So. Um, so we, I feel like we've had a lot of negatives to say. I, I would like to turn that around to a lot of the, so a lot of the positives because I still think there are a fair amount to this film. Uh, so starting, Liz, starting with you, what, what would you say is like one of your favorite pieces of this film? Well, I really enjoy the melody that Victor plays. Oh my god, in the beginning. That, that score, that, the piano, yeah. absolutely gorgeous. I would say that it's my favorite of the film, even though there's no lyrical p- component to it. Um, I enjoy that. I like the nod to Twelfth Night with the Victor Victoria, mm-hmm. and I enjoy the absolutely creepy way the woman says, we've got a new arrival at the very beginning when they murder the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Those are just some great points. Yeah. They're just a few points, but they're, they're some pretty good ones, I would say. <laughs> the uh, For me, a lot, of, a lot of the good points, there was a lot of nods. It was almost like an amalgamation of Tim Burton's work. It was almost like a collage of Tim Burton's work. You have you have Christopher Lee playing the, oh, the Matt. Uh, I will say that is a the, great yes, scene yes. early on when Victor keeps blowing his vows. Exactly. And Christopher Lee getting progressively more and more angry and, and frustrated. Fed up and frustrated, yes. And um I, I so you had Christopher Lee playing some sort of like magistrate or legal. Right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um there's there's the bridge that he's running across that kind of nods to Very Sleepy Hollow. Very Sleepy Hollow, yeah. Yeah. Um there uh the 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 underworld setting is very much a nod to Halloween Town in a lot of ways, but still kind of has the Sugar Skull sort of approach to things. More right, it's more Day of the Dead esque. Um, yeah. I enjoyed and th- th- this is like you were talking about Emily's song in in the movie. One of the things I enjoy is that she's resting on a fainting couch that is made from a coffin. Yeah, and it's just like I I want to have that in my life. This would be a beautiful <laughs> piece. I can actually send you a link because I do know a place that actually makes couches out of coffins. There you go. And they're stunning, and I oh, want I'm one sure they so are. Bad. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they're just kind of grim, though, isn't it? Well, no, not at all. Right? It's it's very it's it's, ma- it's not like there was corpses in them, and if they were, they were in there for like a short period yeah, it's of time. Dead. It's what? kind of Adam's family parlor room sort of furniture. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. Yeah. 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 yeah, if you do if you do it with enough, enough panache. But yeah, it, but it's um, got that fun horror Billy Rockabilly esqueness to exactly, it. And it's just exactly, it's kind of like, hey, I'm 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 eclectic. I'll put it. That Feels way. like something you would see on Rob Zombie's episode of Cribs. There you go. Yeah. I, I like the, the cigar box guitar sort of feel to it that it's just been yeah. transformed that way. Exactly. I, I, I like repurposed things. It's Repurp- very repurposed. Yes. It's fun. Um, it. And so there was there was a lot of positives. I enjoyed that the that they resolved the 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 love triangle situation, which is also in a, a different Irish Russian Irish. My apologies, Jewish Russian. I've been drinking. Uh, folk tale. <laughs> well, I, I apparently broke lids. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just giggling about the idea of an upcycled coffin couch, and it's a little horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Only your husband would think of these things. And um, no, but it the. And I lost my train of thought. The, the, how the, the 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 love triangle thing fades out, where the the corpse bride basically goes, "Listen, 
you're both alive. You should live together. You should be happy. I need to go find my destiny. And I felt like it. that was a little too reluctant in the movie. That was... Yeah. yeah. It was beautiful, but it felt It's really kind of kind like, of, hey, you know what? It's fine. I'm just going to continue being depressed. And depressed that's kind of like, and dead. And you're and like, alone. It's like, wow, thanks for that. I've, uh, this is such an uplifting film. There was, there, there, was, there was another really subtle nod. And uh, is it Labradori? The, the study of butterflies. Because um, at the very beginning of the movie, Victor is literally like studying a butterfly. Right. He draws it and all that. He's got one under glass and he sets it free out into the night. And at the end of the movie, when Emily uh, ascends, basically, is what happens. I-, I think conceptually when she turns to butterflies, when she says, "I'm I, you two belong together, I need to move on. And that's her literally ascending. But it's done so sub- too subtly. You're like... What just happened? Did she just, <laughs> just just turned into butterflies? What is it was like? Is this how she returns exactly like to yeah. like the land of the dead? Because she's still dead. Well, that, that's the thing. I and mean, it, like it's, it's literally the the argument is in the situation. A lot of the people in the land of the dead are there because they're still holding on to onto the memories of life, right? Yeah, yeah. Or they found a new life in the land of the dead. Mm-hmm. Emily has neither. Yeah, and so she transcends, and she finally finds her peace, and she moves on. But it's a point that's kind of lost in the sadness of, oh, I guess you get to have nothing. And but she actually she completes herself. She gets answers. She she found the man who murdered her. Yeah, and she gets to move on. But it gets kind of lost in everything. Please see previous episode. I think it was like number five, the tale of unfinished business. Yes, <laughs> moving on exactly. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, for me, I mean, I, I have to, we kind of touched base on it a little bit, both yeah. you, both you guys touched base on it a little bit it, with the voice casting. I mean, Johnny Depp, uh, well, I do find it bothersome that Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter were a part of so many Tim Burton products at the same time. Yes. Like, constantly, if you saw one, you saw the other. You did mention it's early. It's very early on. It's one of the first times I ever saw it happen. I do feel like they do work very well together. That's a great pairing. Like, um, they, yeah. they, they complement each other incredibly well, I think. On in everything they do. I mean, yeah. it's Sweeney Todd and, and, and the rest of everything we've seen him in. But, I mean, in addition to that, you have Emily Watson, um, uh, uh, Tracy, Al- Tracy Ullman. You mentioned Christopher Lee, Albert Michael Gow, Albert Finney. Yeah. Uh, Alan Cummings does a voice yeah. of one of the characters. Danny Elfman as Bone Jangles is another one. Like, it's the voice casting is still strong. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's not that, you know, yeah. not as strong as Nightmare Before Christmas, but it's still strong voice casting. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, I, I think for me, like, my big takeaway is, like, man, if I die and I get to actually, like, oh my God, like, my, my pets are still here. Like, they exactly. didn't go over the Scraps. Rainbow Bridge fully. I'm like, yeah. cool. And like we actually had an interesting conversation, like me and my wife, when we were sitting down and like actually like watching the movie again. I'm like, do we think we could tell each of our cats from their skeletal structures if we were dead and they came out to us? And we're like, I think so. I think I can pretty much figure out all of them. Yeah, like, it was it, it was a very war- <laughs> it was a very warped conversation to have. But I'm like, yeah, I think so. I think so. It was a little bit morbid, but yeah, I would know more from the skeletal's behavior than the look. Yeah. As to what cat it was. Uh, another big positive takeaway for me is uh, I, I kind of love. There's a beautiful nod. And I don't know if anybody ever picked it up, but like the town crier, who, who's kind of over the top right. and ridiculous, is really a big classic play on Bing Crosby. That uh, is right. He uh, is from the classic Rankin and Bass, you know, Christmas specials. Wow, it's same facial structure and everything. The way that they portray the character, uh, from Here Comes Santa Claus uh, down to yeah, actually, yeah, Here Comes Santa Claus is essentially exactly what the one is from, where he's the post uh, postman. But that's exactly what he looks like. But I loved that they kind of nodded to the visual design, and I think that was kind of really brilliantly done. I'm just realizing something that I had no idea. Uh, apparently, General Bones apart. From the movie was voiced by Deep Roy. 
mm-hmm. who was also in. He's been in a bunch of other Tim Burton films, yeah, including absolutely. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, he was. He's the Oompa Loompa. Loompa. He's all of the Oompa Loompas. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. yeah. Well, deeper it was that he was also the uh, head of the uh, one of the heads of the circus uh, in the, uh, Big Fish. Yeah. Because it was Denny DeVito in him. And I think he's also he was Mr. Soggy Bottoms. That's I, what it was. And I think it was, it was uh, it's not a Tim Burton film, but mm-hmm. isn't he also? Mm-hmm. Isn't he also the the alien that's with Scotty in Star Trek? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's got makeup on his face, but I think that's him as well. Maybe. Um, I mean, I could easily I mean, find like Deep out. Roy, I mean, Deep Roy's been in a... He, he's, he's been in a, a ton huge, of stuff. Huge, um, character actor. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, he was in Flash Gordon, too. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Um, all right. Why don't we go ahead and give our final rating of this? Starting with you, Liz. I don't know. I'm going to go with the trick. It's just how much... To only be fulfilled, you have to have a dude. Can you really watch in a sad, depressing film? I mean, there's some good points, but uh, her uh. whole her whole life and death is about getting married. I'm I'm good, thanks. <laughs> the raging hypergamy was a bit too much. You're saying just a little, just a little too much. Um, I I I think it actually was a, was a treat for me. Um, it did it did. I had to kind of work on it a little bit in my brain. Um, it's actually one of my favorite Johnny Depp roles that he's in, and I think it's because he can't be too—he can't be too strange. He can't be too out there. He's really—he's kind of a, just a genuine sweet man. And I really enjoyed that. And it's—I got—and I, I don't know if it's because he was exhausted doing Willy Wonka during the day, so by the time he got to be Victor, he was just you know himself. Maybe I don't know. Um, I I enjoyed. It's a very beautiful, subtle movie. It's just too subtle for its own good, but it was still—it's still a treat for me. So. I'm actually really surprised that you say this is one of your favorite Johnny Depp roles because he's done so many. He, that, he, yeah, he's done many of them. He's uh, done amazing work. I mean, I mean, I know the movies aren't entire aren't always great, but I mean, I still think Captain Jack Sparrow is still such a dynamic character that he gets into. I mean, even if you look at the videos that he when he plays Captain Jack in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney World, like he steps into that role That's to fantastic. kind of surprise people that are riding I, it. I, I wish they would have ran a Captain Jack Sparrow movie franchise and did the Monkey Island, like Rob mentioned, where it was supposed to originally... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a heated place for me. <laughs> if you want this episode to be another hour and a half long... <laughs> I feel that it should have those have been those those points should have been separated and done better, but that's a different story. Rob's right, and we're going to veer away from that. Back to Ben. I'm still just uh, a little. Excuse me. I'm going to attack the arm for that one. Excuse me. You're missing clearly the best Johnny Depp role ever. Yoga hosers and Tusk from the Kevin Smith movies, right? I was thinking, what's eating Gilbert Grape? Oh, that's good too. But like, all right, let's just slide right past like where he actually is genuine and kind. That was a great movie, but for me is Ed Wood. I'm a big fan of Finding Neverland. I think that's that's a great movie. Uh, you know, you know. I don't know if I've ever seen Finding. He played, yeah. He plays J M Barry. Wait, which is, I did see it. It was a long I, time ago. I know, I know. There's <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of subtle facial, not subtle actually at all. <laughs> not subtle at all. They're non vocal. Is there's what you're a saying. lot of yeah. good non vocal reactions happening around the table through a lot of these conversations. <laughs> Primarily, well, since we've been in the corpse bride, no, big shock. I don't um, know what you're so, talking about. So your rating, final I, rating, sir. I'm looking at this as in like if I were to, if somebody were to ask me who had never seen the movie before, should I see the corpse bride? Um, a trick would be no, you shouldn't watch it. A treat would be yes, you should see it. Uh, 
looking at it in that aspect, I'm going to give it a treat. It's not something I think is as good as some of the other Tim Burton works that I've seen. No. But if somebody were to ask me, should I see it? Yeah, watch it. It's 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 a good watch at least once. Uh, I'm going to go with a trick. I'm going to join Liz on this Ooh, one. We're, uh, we're split on this oh, one. Oh, yes, we are. Uh, this is this is my first trick for through all of these episodes. That is correct. This is my second. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, th- I, I gave... Um, uh, you just said it was a treat. No, mm. it, I'm sorry. You're right. I, you I've said given something a trick before. Yeah. <laughs> you, you gave Legend a trick. I gave Legend a trick. Because right. he's a That's monster. True. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I gave Legend a trick. I, I, do, I can see, but I can also see in this instance when they were they were watching they were watching Labyrinth and Legend back to back, and in that instance, there's going to be a pale comparison. I almost gave Labyrinth a trick. I'm not going to lie. I, I, well, I can I can see that both ways. I think we broke this. <laughs> oh uh, I, yes. All right. So, tragedy. No, the reason. Reasoning, oh, the reasoning for me, though, is in all honesty, and I said it earlier throughout this conversation, was really the fact that there's a really great backbone to this film, but it never, you know, actually kind of turns into anything kind of perfect. It never actually blooms into a flower. It, it's it's kind of like somebody planted planted something a little too late in the season, and it gets, starts to go, and then it just dies. And you're like, ah, I was rooting for you. I thought you could pull through. And it just doesn't do it. It, it. It's like every time a song starts, like in the, even in the beginning, like if you think about like we compare uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, is, this is Halloween to uh, everything must go according to plan. Everything must go according to plan starts the song. They have a weird breakaway where it's this conversation that doesn't interlink ever. And then it goes back into it. And then it's just there's never a hook. There's never this perfect chorus, anything like that, that drives you to any of the music. Like, they feel like they're trying to constantly build to, like, a memorable song, and they never succeed with a single piece. The only piece that they do is one that Liz brought up, which is the score. It's the piano piece that Victor plays that is carried through most of the film. And I wish if they said, hey, we're going to make a film that's not going to carry, like, a musical. Um, and I think if they said, hey, look, we're going to reattempt this film, and it's purely going to be a score and just watching these characters evolve normally, I think we'd be talking uh, – I'd be giving this a treat versus a trick. I think this is this got forced and shoehorned into trying to be again be a cash grab off of popularity from Nightmare Before Christmas, and it never was allowed to really be its own thing. Like you're telling about, like Damon, um, you, the tale that this is based off of. That right. sounds brilliant. It is, and I'm like, oh my god, I just watched that story. But what you're telling me sounds a lot more interesting than the version I of it that I just consumed. Um, so yeah, it's it's a shame, but like it's one of those things if you have an interest. It's not a horrible movie, but if it comes down to a thumbs up, thumbs down, I'd got to give it the thumbs down. Like, it's one of those things. If it's on TV or you have it, like, on streaming or something like that, throw it on the background, but don't pay too much attention to it. And I think that's exactly where it falls. It, it's it's not terrible, but it's not memorable. So I think we need a Corpse Bride re- revisited album. It might be the only way I'd actually pay attention to the music. I'll tell you this. The best way I can give you guys a thought process on it is if anything has got really memorable music and if you can punch up on YouTube a movie title and then say cover and if you'll find a thousand and one covers of songs from it. Corpse Ride, I found two. Yeah, right. That should be proof positive that even the streaming community that's and the musicians that that most of us pay attention to nowadays that are stemming from places like YouTube and such. Most of them don't even believe that there's anything valid here. It felt like it was a project that was like a weekend work. They were trying to right. sing with friends, and it just was – everyone was exhausted. 
yeah. and just doing too many things at once, and it just it was not. The this is this is a whole bunch of producers yeah. uh, got stoned one night. Dude, we should do like a sequel to Nightmare. No, let's do something new. All right, cool. You know what? Give me twenty minutes, and I can definitely come it, up with it, a story. It was basically like like it was collaboration effort. They're they're doing um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. They're they're kicking things out. They're trying to get it all done. Hey, Tim, there's this really awesome folktale I was reading about in this like Jewish heritage uh, book that I was liking called The Finger. Oh, dude, and they were talking about it. We can make this at night. And they did their best to shoehorn it in, and it just didn't bake properly. How long did it take to make Nightmare Before Christmas? We were saying seven, eight years. Seven, eight years this thing has been had been just... It's it's an idea of a labor of love versus... Right. Versus, I got it. Hey, guys, I got an idea. A half college try. Or Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it, it's a hold my beer. Watch this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what this felt like, unfortunately, so... Well, I think that does it for this this chapter. So that was the tale of, of the slow motion. motion. Yeah, of slow motion. <laughs> I do. I do. Do we, do we have not any? have any recommendations? For oh no, well, we're going to get there. Yeah, okay. Get there, Just so. checking okay. in. Just checking in. She's itching. So, She's itching to get those yeah. recommendations in. So as we get ready to say goodbye, uh, exactly what I was about to bring up is: <laughs> Do you guys have any thoughts of based off of these films? Anything that you would recommend people to go check out before in between now and our final episode, which is next week for Halloween? Well, we already talked about mine, Black Cauldron, which is, you know, one of my, I actually really enjoy this film, probably because I really enjoy the books it's based on. But if we're talking about Disney films that are a little too dark for uh, for their time period, it's definitely up there. Sure, definitely. Even Disney films that had a one-time ride accompanying to them. Yeah, yeah. And hey, the Horn King down. still exists in Disneyland, so hey, that's not a bad thing. Right. The, the the value I want to give to people is um, there's an excellent novel that uh, is very similar to Corpus Bride that kind of goes off of uh, um, the the fair tale it's talking about. And it's called The Stress of Her Regard. It's written by um, Tom Powers, who actually also wrote a different book called On Stranger Ties. In which Tim they, Powers. Tim Powers. Thank you. I always do that wrong vowel. Uh, and, Monkey Island is also based on Stranger Tides. Exactly. And um, I highly recommend The Stress of Her Regard. The main character is a, a betrothed. He's about to get married. He goes out getting drunk with friends. There's this beautiful statue in a courtyard who has an outstretched hand. There's thunder. There's lightning. There's alcohol. And he puts the ring on the hand of the statue and trying to go over the vows and like trying to work on his nerves. He stumbles back, uh, realizes he, he's forgotten the ring, goes back to go get it, and the hand is closed. The statue's hand is closed with the ring around it, so he cannot get the ring back. Only to discover he has committed himself to a supernatural being as their spouse. And things, and I do have to warn people thoroughly, this is a very graphic novel. This is not a children's piece. It's a very good adult novel, one of the best ones ever read. He actually finds a way to take the Sphinx's riddle, turn it on its head, and uses a plot device in the book as a hint. That's awesome. And so I, I highly re- so if you enjoy kind of the conceptual effort that was trying to go with the Corpse Bride. But you felt really let down, and I guess I'm looking at you, Rob. Don't worry. And <laughs> and you felt like you got let down in this. I highly recommend this book. Um, there are three um, characters of, of of historical value that are in here, the literary world. It's Lord Byron, Percy, I'm um, Percy Jackson, That's Percy terrible. Shelley, Percy Shelley, and um, and and are show up in the novel as characters in the book and with historical value. So I highly recommend it. You had me at Percy Jackson. Yeah, I was, was going to say it's like and the lightning thief <laughs> and the lightning thief. It all comes together. Um, I also um, for Nightmare Before Christmas, even though it's a little non-canonical, like halfway, I'm um, halfway. Would be I would highly recommend Krampus. 
Mm, yeah, we were, we were talking yeah, about that earlier. By, yeah. by Brom, and it does an excellent. Um, I don't know if anyone's if anyone here has read it. Has it just been me so far? I've read it, and uh, I've also watched the recent Krampus film, which is how related from, are those from, two? Are they no, not at I all. I didn't think it at no, all. But yeah, no, no. but like I will say, ultimately though, Krampus is such an interesting character, and I'm I'm so happy that character is getting his due. Indeed, because <laughs> and, and I don't even want to say char- a character really. I, I, he it really is, depends on based on your personal beliefs on what he is to you. But and in I think technical that's the best terms, it. is myth is mythology. Yes, yes, because um, yes. he is a deity in this instance, right. and he, there is um, the stealing of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are up for Audible adventure, the guy who does Kirby, I can't remember which Kirby's last name. Uh, the gentleman who does the Audible for Krampus does an amazing job for all the characters involved. I, I will, recommend. It. I will have to. Give that so, a listen. I, I've never listened to the Audible of that. So it, awesome. is, it is deeply impressive. And it's also an adult novel. Yes, it's also adults. very adult. This is not a children's book at all in the slightest. Yeah. Um, I have a recommendation for if, you, if you're a fan of like this kind of animation and kind of like these darker tales. Uh, there was a movie that was released on September 9th, 2009 called Nine. Uh, and it was about a rag doll that awakens in a post-apocalyptic world and finds out he's kind of like the key to salvation. And there's a bunch of other characters oh that God, are all that's right. that are all numbers. I mean, they're just like number eight, number seven. It's got an amazing voice cast, like Elijah Wood, uh, Christopher Plummer. Like, there's a ton. Uh, John C. Riley hmm. is one of the cast members. I've always, I know, I know visually what it is, but I never watched it. I don't know if I've seen it. It's very Burton-esque, but it's not Burton at yeah. all. Oh, I um, know. Yeah, I, I do. I do recall. I mean, like, I. I I remember when it was a thing. Yeah. Uh, but it was one of those movies that came out and just disappeared. Yeah. But I, it was one of those movies that when I saw it, I felt was very underrated and I actually loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if, if you haven't seen it, I, I recommend it. Cool. I'll, it's actually one I probably would even throw into the mix for next season if we have room. Maybe. Yeah. We might. Yeah. I mean, like, we're already seven episodes we still have two more to plan. Yeah. yeah. So, and based on how many weekends we have between September and October, <laughs> we only may have eight episodes versus nine. True. So, yeah. Uh, but as for me, I would say uh, my probably go to is honestly, uh, seriously, jump on YouTube. Uh, and I, I would really recommend actually watching a, a ride through of the Nightmare Before Christmas uh, Haunted Mansion because it's just really fun. And it's kind of something special about seeing a tactile, actual version of those characters existing. And being as animatronics and watching giant Christmas wreaths, uh, you know, attack ride vehicles and stuff like that. Oh, that's something wonderful great. and cute and special about it. But I love the fact that I bring up cute is something's trying to kill you, but <laughs> it feels apropos. For, Death by cute. Yes. Yeah, it, it's very apropos for, for something like this. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. So, um, yeah. a big special thanks to our good friends, uh, Sarah and Taylor and the rest of the band from this way to the egress. Uh, you get to hear their music on this each and every episode as we ran through from the start of our journey in September all the way through the end of October, please make sure to head over to their website, is which is This Way to the Egress, spelled E-G-R-E-S-S, and that's .com. You can also make sure on that page, head over to their Patreon, show them some support. Uh, they did an amazing piece that was for a scary, st- uh, bleh, scary stories to tell in the dark, so please make sure to uh, show a little love, follow along with their, the journey that they're telling over there, and listen to their other tunes, because again, they're amazing to listen to and really help get you in the Halloween spirit as especially because we're seven days away um but without further ado Ben any other last things you wanted to bring up um go see Zombieland 2 
Double tap? Double tap, because I saw it and I loved it. Yeah. It's not as good. It's not as funny as the first one, but it's Zombieland, so I loved it anyway. And it's still a lot of fun. It's one of the one of the few sequels Woody Harrelson's ever done. Yeah, yeah. He has a big deal about that. It doesn't yep. happen. Um, I, I, I honestly, for me, all I can say is get ready to watch Adam's Family. Yes. Adam's Family Values. Our season finale. It's the best way we can end this. Yep. Uh, so please definitely join us next week for our final episode of the season. Thank you so much for joining us on this ride for uh, through our favorite holiday. Hands down. So, and we'll be back next season. And we'll be back next season. I, I can. We'll give you a little preview next next, next week, week yep. of Chapter what nine. we've got in store for next year. And I think we'll probably have our full roster planned for next year already by then. Yep. So, I'm excited. But until then, we'll guys, we'll see you guys around the bend. Take care. Bye.